One year ago, as candidate for president, Joe Biden made a promise to the Haitian-American community in Miami, Florida. He was telling us that we will not repeat what the previous administration, what they've done to immigrants. We're going to make it better. Sancha Etienne was inspired by that speech. But she says that's not what she's seen over the past few weeks. Daily flights are taking off from the U.S., sending people back to Haiti. What is the Biden administration doing now that he's president? And what are Haitians returning to after risking their lives and livelihood coming to the United States? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Sancha Etienne campaigned for Biden, then voted for him as president of the United States. I am Sancha Etienne. I am a Haitian-American living in Miami. I'm a mother. I am a community organizer with the Black Alliance for Just Immigration. We fight for a great future for Black communities. And for the last few weeks, with a massive surge of Haitian immigrants at the southern border of the United States, it's that last job that's been taking up most of Sancha's time. So breaking news, a border emergency in Texas tonight, as more than 9,500 migrants who have arrived in the past 48 hours are living under a bridge and thousands more are expected in the coming days. Sancha's been meeting Haitian migrants at the Miami airport. They've come through Texas and are now trying to connect with family and friends in the United States. She's been doing that and keeping up with the WhatsApp group on her phone. It sounds like you are in touch with your community and with Haitian culture. You have a WhatsApp group, right? Can you tell me about that? Okay, we started the WhatsApp group because we saw in the community back home in Haiti, you have children, they don't go to school because... Their parents don't have it. We pay for the school. We buy school supplies. We get uniforms. The diaspora, we are there to support our young people. So that's how this group started. It's love. What I love about it (laughs) is the determination to get together and make change. And we see change. We have some of them that took this journey to be under the bridge in Texas. And that's how Sancha first heard about Haitians coming up through South America and ending up at camps on the border in Texas. Her friends from the WhatsApp group eventually found themselves there on the southern border of the United States. The sprawling camp containing up to 10,000 mostly Haitian migrants under a bridge spanning the Rio Grande is a flashpoint for the White House. It's become one of the biggest stories in the news. But that's not how it started out, Sancha says. These, mostly they are young people, 24, 25, all the way to 30. Like this young man by the name of Daniel from the south side of Haiti. This is the same area Sancha's from. Daniel's been very good about staying in touch. He left four years ago and went to Chile. And the reason most of them left because they want to look for a better life, a better future for themselves and for their family. 
in America, they can have that life they're looking for, and they just took this journey. It's not easy. This thing we call life, we must find a way to live it. But many times, when we look for a way, this is what we find. I'm not discouraged. You know, I'm a young man, just like they told me not to take a chance, I took a chance anyway. I'm obligated to take a chance. Even in Chile, at the beginning of the journey, he was messaging that things were tough. They tell them how hard it is. They tell them when you get to Chile or Brazil, you will find a job, but most of them, they lack sunshine. I just get 200 or $250 American money a month. And just our rent is about 500 to $600 a month. So they have to find a group to stay in the house so that they will be able to afford the rent. Just the rent. And Sancha says they want a life that's better than that. They know what's ahead, but they still choose to do it because they want better for them. It's hard traveling from like 12 different countries to make it here. I'm, I'm imagining they probably don't always have service to be able to chat on the WhatsApp group, but in the times where they were able to find cell service, what were they reporting back about? what they were facing. Of course, I remember five, six days, we did not hear from them. And we were really scared, like, what's going on? And when they can find a Wi-Fi or something, they say, we are sorry. It's not because we wanted to just stay away from the group. It's just, we were in the jungle. <laughs> That's how they describe the forest they went through. This jungle, or forest, is one of the things Sancho remembers most about the chat with Daniel's group. They then had to brave the Danian Gap. Al Jazeera's John Holman has covered the story of migrants heading north for years, and he concurs this is one of the most treacherous spots. He's heard this from other Haitians he's met with, too. It's a lawless area between Colombia and Panama, which many were incredibly traumatized by. That's an area of jungle in which rape, murder and robbery are incredibly common. And that's exactly what Sancho was hearing Daniel and his friends had to face. And that forest, some say they go through it in, in five days. The longest I hear, it's nine days. And they face situations like animals, they say sometimes in front of their faces, they're looking at other groups raping our young women, and there is nothing they can do about it. The other groups, they might have weapons with them. It's, it's hard. Yeah. You'll find other groups, they just call themselves the master of the jungle. They will ask them for money take whatever they have, take the food away, water. Sanchez says this little group found themselves leaning on each other to survive. If one has a bottle of water and the other one don't have, they will share. If one have food, they will share the food. That's how it was for them. Eventually, they made it through the Darien Gap. Then there was Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and finally, the Rio Grande, the river that divides Mexico from Texas, the southern border of the United States. And when they get to the river, they have to cross that river. They make a line and they just hold on to each other. 
I hang on to your hand and then the next person until all of them just cross that weaver. I'd heard reports that it was unguarded in some areas. Is that right? That's right. It was just open and they make it through. But quickly, that situation changed. Have you seen those pictures where we have guards on, on horses whipping the Haitian people? I have seen them, and probably many of you have seen them now too. Al Jazeera's John Holman was there as it was happening with the Al Jazeera team, some of the first to record what took place. I think the incident that we captured really reverberated around the United States. What we saw were mounted officers trying to stop a man from crossing in, gone back into Mexico because there was little food in the camp. So a lot of people are crossing back into Mexico to do that and then returning to the United States with that food for their families. They didn't want to let him across. And they said to him, this is why your country is expletive because you use your women for this. And they were referring to the fact that he was trying to find shelter from the horse with possibly his family. So that incident then really did the rounds in pools of power in the United States. And there was a lot of indignation about how Border Patrol officers could be saying things like that to people who lost everything, basically, and had embarked on a thousands of kilometers trek. And this wasn't the only image like this. There were others. Border Patrol agents on horseback driving their horses at the migrants who were carrying coolers, styrofoam to-go boxes, and black plastic bags full of supplies. But the pictures that got the most attention were the ones Sancha described. Agents with long leather reins that looked like whips. They were cracking them at the migrants, forcing them to fall back into the river with their supplies in hand. The Department of Homeland Security is now launching an investigation into those disturbing images of some border agents on horseback, images the White House called horrific. Sancha was watching this thinking of her friends and realizing this is what they could be facing too. They did not want to let them go further down by the bridge or where the others were. It's, it's hard. So did you get word that so many Haitians would be entering the U.S.? No, I, I didn't know that. This group that I've been on the same chat with, I know of them. But they said between 10,000 to 15,000 Haitians. I did not know of that. Once her friends were at the border, communication became difficult again. People we've talked to there say it was hard to get power, to charge cell phones. So what happened to them when they arrived? There are questions about that. How long they've been there before social media picked up all of them under that bridge. But we really don't know when exactly they made it there. What do you know about the ones who did make it? Any arrested? Were they detained? Of course, there are definitely some. Like Daniel, the Haitian contact she's been getting messages from all along. For days, she heard nothing. Then she got these messages from him. It was hard to hear what he had to say. Daniel, they got him through immigration, and then he mentioned a little room. 
they put a hundred people in a womb. A womb that can take ten people, they put a hundred people in it. We couldn't sleep. They didn't give us any food. They didn't give us anything to drink. It's, a, it's discrimination what they did to us. They gave us one apple and one cup of water. The other people on the other side, I don't know what they did to them. And he sent him, I broke down and cry. Because it's just inhuman treatments. My teeth are broken, chains cutting my feet. They uh, chain them, put chain on their hand and on their leg, their feet, and go to detention centers with them. He told me that he visited New Jersey, he visited New York, he formed the Texas border. He was removed three times to different facilities. Guys are using the toilet in front of each other, people sleeping on concrete naked. I wore the same clothes for six days. It's when I got to Ocap that I got to change my clothes. I didn't get to take a shower. I slept on concrete, chains on us like we were criminals, like someone who killed the president. For, for how much they torture us. And then when they come to get him to go on the bus, take them to the airport, they don't tell them anything. They just take them out. There was no fighting. All the Haitians knew what was going on. We didn't fight, we didn't curse, we remained calm. It's the Americans that were giving us trouble. There were no Haitians trying to cause trouble at all. And they beat them up while um, taking them to the airport. It's just, that's the way they choose to, to treat us and just deport us. And remember, Daniel, like Sancha, is from the south of Haiti. This guy never been to the northern part of Haiti. He doesn't know anybody there. But that's where he was sent. They just drop him off there, Cape Haitian Airport. That's where they dropped him. They give him 1,500 Haitian money. Which is about $15. When we came to Haiti, the U.S. gave us a thousand U.S. dollars. When we land to the airport, the Haitian officials sliced it up and gave us 1,500 Haitian dollars, which can't even buy water in Haiti because where I am at the hotel now, a gallon of water is $20. Even the room, the hotel room I'm staying in, a night is $200. Tomorrow I'm going to leave. We took hits, man. We took hits. It sounds incredibly difficult. Is that going to be enough to <laughs> to start over again in Haiti? I would call that pocket money. That's absolutely nothing. In a day, if a family of two choose to cook and eat a decent meal, that's not enough for just one day. So, of course, you still keep a close eye on Haiti, but for our listeners who may not be as up-to-date, the president, Jovenel Moïse, was recently assassinated. There was another massive earthquake. More than 2,000 people died and more than 10,000 people were injured. And that comes 11 years after the 2010 earthquake that killed 250,000 people. There was also just a massive tropical storm. So it's been one thing after another for Haitians. And on top of that is COVID-19. It hurts. It breaks my heart. It's just seeing one thing after another 
happening to this beautiful Caribbean country. I am from there. I just wish that there was something I could do to take my people out of this misery. The United States had made it easier for Haitians to stay in the U.S. in the past. They gifted temporary protection, TPS, to Haiti after the earthquake 2010. Temporary Protected Status, or TPS, allows migrants to stay in the U.S. when conditions in their home country prevent them from returning safely. So Haitians were granted TPS in 2010, and President Biden renewed TPS status this year. But it only applies to Haitians residing in the U.S. since July 29th, not those crossing the border now. And for Sancha, that raises questions. How long are you going to keep them under the temporary protection? Why can that be turned into a permanent protection? Rights groups like Human Rights Watch are saying that how the Biden administration is reacting is discriminatory and abusive. What do you think? Why do they hate us so much? What did we do to them to cause this hatred we are receiving? They said, if you were in this country up to July, you qualify for TPS. However, after that, you had the earthquake. The president was assassinated and you had the gang on the streets. People were leaving like... They, they don't know what to do. So all of that qualifies them for TPS. Why not? Sancha says Daniel and Haitians like him should not be deported or expelled from the United States. The expulsions, right now what's happening is just illegal. And they know it. The ACLU fought the expulsions in court. And a federal judge now agrees, ruling the law being used is likely illegal. The Biden administration is appealing. So we're in Del Rio, Texas, uh, a quarter of a mile from the bridge that people might have seen a lot of Haitian immigrants trying to uh, get into the United States. Kerry Kennedy is a lawyer a human rights activist, and the daughter of former U.S. presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy. I'm the president of Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights, an international human rights organization. We focus domestically on immigration issues. We've also worked extensively in the country of Haiti itself. And last week, she was at the United Nations General Assembly when she heard what was happening at these camps in Texas and got on a flight. What she found were a lot more stories like Daniel's. We went over to the encampment where the immigrants are being processed by U.S. authorities and then taken to Haiti on airplanes, 500 to 1,000 people a day who are not getting their rights recognized, who are unable to make appeals for refugee status. I'm shocked. I think it's completely inconsistent with the president's values, with the values of many people in the administration. No one 
should be brought to Haiti right now. The State Department has Haiti on a, the list of countries to not go to for American citizens because it's inherently dangerous. And yet we're taking thousands and thousands and sending them to this country, which has no ability to take care of them. The reports that we have are very, very, very few people are being able to come into the United States and virtually everybody's being sent back to Haiti. We talked to Carrie Kennedy on Thursday, September 23rd. Sancha told us the story of Daniel being sent back to Haiti the next day, Friday, September 24th. So that was one very difficult story. Of the others, do you know where they are now? Actually, I just got a picture of the, the bridge. Sancha was planning on flying to Texas herself that weekend to help the migrants with her organization, Baji. And she was also hoping to track down her friends. She'd heard many of them were still there, under the bridge. She just needed to get there herself. But there was news on Friday. Southern border officials have cleared the massive migrant encampment beneath a bridge in Del Rio, Texas. At one point, nearly 15,000 migrants, many of them Haitian, were living at the encampment, looking for a permanent home in the U.S. Then, a friend sent her a picture. There was nobody there. I just got that picture while we were fixing things, and the picture came to me and says, this is the bridge. There was nobody there. What happened to our people? That's what we're trying to find out. I don't know what to think. <laughs> I do not know what to think, what they did to our people. Do they take them into different facilities? And how did that happen? Is that overnight? Did, do they process them through immigration and have different flights to send them back? We don't know. I do not know um, what happened to them, but we are trying to find out. You have a bunch of people under a bridge, and then when you wake up in the morning, they're gone. At this point, all she has to go on are these occasional messages, the images she's been watching on TV, and stories from the other migrants she's been working with, the Haitians arriving in Miami from Texas. When I saw the people coming out of the airplane, most of them, I don't want to say all, but most of them have a child on their hand. So this is what she's gleaned. If you have a child with you, you would not be deported. Otherwise, they wouldn't be deported. And there is a law that makes it easier for the Biden administration to deport them. They hide under this Title 42 Title 42 was invoked during the Trump administration, a law they used to send immigrants back for causing a health risk during the pandemic. But Sancha has another solution. You have vaccines that have not been used a lot. So give them the vaccine, vaccinate them and let them in. So they're just following the, this racist agenda that they have for the immigrants. It, they're just following it. And this administration, I feel so betrayed because they came, he himself, the president, came to Miami in our Haitian community at the Little Haiti Cultural Center. He mm -hmm. said, 
on our first 100 days in office, we're going to stop all deportation. He said that to us. And this is what you are doing. This is an opportunity to show up and keep your promise. And you're not keeping it. Do better by stopping deportation. Before putting this story to bed, we got another message from Sancha. She heard back about four more Haitians who were part of her WhatsApp group. One person was sent back to Mexico, and a family, mother, father, and their child, were deported, like Daniel, back to Haiti. But there are seven others who were traveling in that group. What happened to them? She still doesn't know. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Nagin Oliai, Ruby Zaman, Priyanka Tilve, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Our story editor is Tom Fenton. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya and Milek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. She helped with the translation for today's episode as well. We'd also like to thank Charles Jean-Pierre, Bashir Sylvain, and Roberto Massillon for their assistance on this episode. We'll be back.